Welcome to Late Last Night, episode five. Final episode. Happy Halloween. We've got three awesome things lined up today. The first of which is an adapted from folklore tale. And then we've got a kind of a break from the mold. <clears throat> we are going to be telling you guys it's a real life account of of a friend of a friend who had um, an actual spiritual ghostal manifestation. Ghostal? I don't know. Ghost. And then the third is the closing out poem by yours truly. And guys, thank you so much for listening and thank you to everybody who, who wrote a story or read one or did a voice. This is so fun and um, thank you for lending me your talent and your ears and your, your voices. Anyways, I'm Caitlin Noti. This is Late Last Night, Episode 5. Hope you guys have a great Halloween, had a great weekend. Peace out. See ya on the other side. Barney McVie loved to eat. Each day at noon, he closed his barbershop for a couple hours and went home for a big lunch his wife Lynn cooked for him. Barney was abusive, a stubborn drunkard who'd grown bitter and harsh over the years. And Lynn was a meek woman who did everything she could to stay on his good side. On his way home for lunch one day, Barney stopped at the butcher and bought a pound of liver. He loved a good liver. He would have Lynn cook it for dinner that night. Despite all his frustrations with her, she was a very good cook, and Barney loved to eat. While Barney ate his lunch of corned beef hash and a tall glass of milk, Lynn told him that some rich old woman in town had passed away. Her body was at the church next door. It was in an open casket. Anyone who wanted to see her and pay their respects could. As usual, Barney was not interested in what Lynn had to say. I've got work, he told her. How the hell do you think I pay for everything around here? Certainly not by puttering around the house like you and wandering around old churches. Barney slammed the door, and Lynn, a little shaken, began to cook. However mean Barney was to her on any given day, she always had her cooking to return to. She felt at peace while she prepared food. She had control. She felt grounded. She added vegetables and spices and simmered the liver that Barney had fetched from the butcher all afternoon, just the way he liked it. When she thought it was done, she cut off a small piece and tasted it. It was delicious, the best she had ever made. She ate a second piece, then a third. It was so good. She, she just could not stop eating it. It was only when the liver was all gone that she thought of Barney. She froze up and felt a cold lump in her throat the size of a baseball. He would be coming home soon. What would he do when he found that she had eaten all of the liver? Some men would laugh, but not Barney. He would be angry and mean. He might even hit her, and she could not face that again. Not today. But where could she get another piece of liver that late in the day? Then she remembered the old woman lying in the coffin in the church next door, waiting to be buried. Barney said he had never had a better dinner. 
Oh, you've got to try this, Lynn, he said. It's just delicious. So tender. So moist. I'm not hungry, she said. You finish it. That night, after Barney had fallen asleep, Lynn sat in bed trying to read her stories, but all she could think about was what she had done. Then she thought she heard a woman's voice. Who has my liver? It asked. Who has it? Was it her imagination? Who was she dreaming? Who has my liver? Now the voice was closer. Who has it? Lynn wanted to run. No, no. She whispered. I don't have it. I don't have your liver. Now the voice was right next to her. Who, who has it? Lynn froze with terror. She pointed to Barney. He does. He has it. Suddenly, the light went out. And Barney screamed. And screamed. Try This. Narrated by Brian Jones. Voiced by Brian Jones, Caitlin Nodi, and Katie Gavin. Up until recently, I certainly would not have considered myself to be a believer. If you were to raise the issue of ghosts with me, sure, I would be willing to entertain the idea. But I think more than anything, I just never had a solid experience, and really, I didn't want to believe in them because it scared the crap out of me. And being somebody who's pretty rooted in reality, or at least likes to project themselves that way, I don't like to go around talking about ghosts like it's absolutely any of my business. So when me and my best friend Becca moved into a house together after graduation in Minneapolis, only to discover that it was haunted, that really rocked my world. And I panicked, so of course I started a GoFundMe so that I could hire celebrity ghostbuster Michael Bodine to help us. Though I had always had the heebie-jeebies living in the house, nothing had ever happened, so I did my best to ignore it. When my roommate Becca moved in, she started complaining of spooky occurrences, and I just became completely exhausted and anxious from coming up with excuses and explanations for what it could possibly be that she was experiencing, and trying to convince not only her that nothing was happening, but more importantly, trying to convince myself. I was losing sleep and finding reasons to stay out of the house and even thinking about moving out for no good reason except for the ghost activity. I'm not sure if I ever really let on to anyone just how much it was troubling me because honestly, I found it completely embarrassing. I finally brought it up with my therapist and instead of giving me some coping strategies for my anxiety or telling me it was a bunch of baloney as I imagined she would, She told me that it sounded like I had a ghost in the house, and had I considered hiring a Ghostbuster? That's when I thought of starting the GoFundMe, because who does not like getting involved in a little ghost action? 
It was a month or so later that Michael Bodine arrived at 9.30 p.m. on a Thursday evening and stayed for around three hours. It was pretty much the most metal, most fascinating night of my whole life. He bared a striking resemblance to that lead guitarist in Lane's band, Hep Alien, from the WB's hit television program Gilmore Girls, or really any late 80s blonde-molded rock god or middle-aged lesbian. And he was joined by his son Blake, whose gift, as he rather oddly described it, is seeing evil spirits exclusively. Later, his protege, a well-dressed middle-aged lady called Teresa came and she was very kind and very reassuring and mostly just spoke with us about our interior design choices. After some small talk, mostly them doing the talking and us doing the gawking, Michael asked if he could take a little bit of a look around and him and his son started taking a tour around the house. They came back pretty quickly and without much hesitation, Michael delivered the news to us kindly but bluntly that we had three ghosts in the house. Three. At this point, I was pretty prepared to receive news of a ghost, but straight up, I had not expected to be such a full house. What blew my effing mind was that without telling him anything about the details of what we had seen or heard prior to his walk around the house, the spirits that he described seeing matched our experiences to an absolute T. It suddenly became really quite real. You know, a small, perverted part of myself was relieved to know that my instincts were right. It feels good to be right, and that I wasn't just being a paranoid psycho. But on the other hand, it was, of course, incredibly horrifying that I wasn't just being my usual paranoid psychopathic self and that there were actually three ghosts living in my house. My kind, gentle roommate Becca, who occupies the second floor, would, amongst other things, hear laughing in the night and wake up with the same nursery rhyme stuck in her head, one that neither of us could identify. I live in the attic and woke up one night and saw what appeared to be an elderly woman's face hovering on my ceiling. Both of us would wake up most nights around 2.30 or 3 a.m. feeling extremely spooked for no particular reason. We learned that this is the witching hour, the time when ghosts get most restless and bored and like to sort of tootle around the house and have their fun. What we learned from Michael is that there was a little girl living on Becca's floor and an old lady living on mine. Again, this is without telling him a thing. Another small detail is that the woman who previously lived in the house died there, as well as her mother, so the potential for an old lady to be hanging around was quite great. There was also a random middle-aged guy living in our laundry room, but he was pretty uninteresting to us. This is a girls club, put out or get out. The way Michael delivered all of this so calmly and articulately was what was so fascinating about it. There was no razzle-dazzle or commotion, he just told it like it was. We had several little spirits in our house and he was going to do what he could to get them to move on out. I think this is what made it so easy to believe. After spending summer after summer watching so many hours of ghost adventures on my friend Kate's sectional couch in the valley, and after experiencing all of that drama and feeling like ghosts are a big fat joke, this was very sobering and really just brought it home. I guess literally, too. It seemed to Michael that neither the little girl nor the laundry room gentleman had previously lived in the house, but rather just found themselves there. 
I was under the impression that ghosts were stuck, either in the place that they died or with those that were significant to them. But as it turns out, they have a little bit more free will than that, and it seems that they just liked the feel of our place and ended up staying. However, the elderly woman on my floor was definitely at home. Michael described her as having an entitlement to the place, seemingly uninterested in his presence and just sort of going about her business. Normally ghosts run away when they see Michael because they know what's up, but apparently she was unfazed by his presence. There was a strong feeling like she belonged in the house, like she just floated right through him, which apparently feels a little bit like vertigo. Although it is often the case that ghosts are ghosts because they don't realize they're dead, it seemed that she was very aware that she was done so, just not in any hurry to leave. According to Michael, none of them seemed to have an issue with me and Becca living in the house. We make for hella fine roommates. So I asked how aware they were of us, if they knew who we were, like, why us? Do they like us? And it seemed to Michael that we are inconsequential to them, and they think we are just here temporarily. <laughs> The little girl, who was about five or six, appeared to have died in the 60s. She seemed a little lost and confused and like maybe she was looking for someone to take care of her. It was clear that the lady upstairs was not taking on that duty. Becca, who has often worked with children, seemed like a natural choice. Michael didn't see them as a problem, just as a presence, but considering he described witnessing bleeding walls like it ain't nothing but a thing, I didn't necessarily trust his judgment in terms of what qualifies as a problem. What the spirits were less keen on was me and Becca having our friends over, and it's often when we have overnight guests that the most action occurs. <clears throat> Ghost action, that is. They have a particular dislike for one friend of ours, one who has always been quite in touch with the supernatural, and have been known to tug at her hair when she's doing dishes and flicker the lights when she sleeps over. When I returned from my 20th trip of the night to the little girl's room, Michael was talking about his day job, doing psychic readings. It seemed to me that maybe ghost busting was just a way for him to get out of the house at night. I couldn't take my eyes off of them. My God, the things that these people had seen. I had so many questions for them, but I also so badly wanted them to think I was a cool girl. Ugh, I wanted to be a part of their world so bad, and at the same time wanted to be a million freaking miles away from it. From what I gather, when we die, our souls are supposed to go to the other side, but for whatever reason, sometimes they don't. They might be afraid, or they don't feel worthy, or they don't even know that they're dead. But for the ones that don't go, there's not a lot to do, so they go to places where there are people that have a better ability to see them or to feel them. In other words, contrary to popular belief, graveyards are basically the least haunted places you can go. He described it in such a way and with such a tone that I couldn't help but to feel sympathetic towards ghosts. They are drawn to people or places that have a certain light to them. 
This made me blush a little bit. It doesn't need to be people that are practicing psychics or anything that extreme, but rather just open-minded and feeling and sensing on a certain level that they can tap into. There are places that are evil and dark and heavy, but our house isn't one of these places. Michael kept assuring us that our house was not demonic and it didn't have a porthole or doorway into hell. This seems like good news. When you wake up and have that feeling of being spooked or afraid, different from a normal middle-of-the-night wake-up bathroom call sort of thing, it's normally because you've been woken, either by something that has just left or something that is still there. It takes a while to get your bearings when you first wake up, as well as when you're just about to fall asleep, and this is when we're most vulnerable, so this is often when they're able to reach us and make us feel things. This is also why it is often so difficult to know whether or not you are really seeing or feeling or hearing things, because you're in this really weird headspace. It's easy to write off as still being stuck in a dream or being disoriented, which is what I'd been doing for most of the months prior, maybe even years. We can see things more and feel things more, but we also feel at our most defenseless, and this is why these ghostly feelings are so flipping scary and uncomfortable. After we spent some time talking, Michael said, We've got a bit of a problem, which certainly added a bit of spice to this stew of misfortune. And if you think about it, it's probably just about the last thing you want to hear from a ghost hunter in your home. As it turns out, our house is a little bit of an antenna for ghosts. Or more specifically, Becca and I are antennas for ghosts. He explained that because of the energy that we carry, there's a pretty good chance of a reoccurrence of other spirits if we open that door. Our next question, of course, was, how do we close the door? And the simple answer was just not to do spooky things in the house. For instance, seances, Ouija, ghost discussions, and what have you. As I've explained, ghosts are attracted to those who are attracted to them. However, the other answer was sort of just that we can't. What he told us, and he tried to do it in the most gentle way possible, bless his heart, is that wherever we go, we will always attract spirits, and it's a luck of the draw sort of thing, meaning... This time we got nice ghosts, but next time we might not. The problem that this poses is that if we were to get rid of the old woman on the third floor, there would be the potential for not-so-nice spirits to come in. In a sense, she's our protector. Her allegiance is to the house, and she's making sure that nothing bad happens to it and is essentially keeping the bad spirits out. However, if we were to remove her, the house would basically be a free-for-all, and being the antennas that we are, it is likely that other ghosts might make themselves at home, and we might be less lucky next time around. We were then faced with the rather big question of whether or not she should stay. We invited Michael over because we wanted him to remove the haunt from our house, but we were suddenly in a position where it was actually in our best interest to keep the spirit around, and we were about to look like a bunch of dumb idiots begging a ghost not to go. I mean, really think about it, it's embarrassing. What are we going to do, tell our donators that their money went towards hiring a ghostbuster to come over and persuade a ghost to stick it out? Please. After about 10 seconds of thinking, mostly about the potential for bleeding walls, we decided Grandma gets to stick it out in the attic, but the other two get the boot. 
They were fairly light spirits, so he was just able to chat with them for a bit and stage them out. He explained that normally it's a much more complicated and exhausting process of going into the porthole, which is where the dimensions meet. It's a whole other complicated thing. And closing that up. And it all sounded very sci-fi and exciting, and frankly, I would have loved to have seen it. But at this point, I wasn't going to push my luck. Instead, he cleansed the room by using sage to create a square, focusing mostly on the windows as a sort of repellent. And when they went upstairs to sage the second floor, it became apparent that the older woman was not very happy about that, and there was some slamming of doors and a little bit of commotion, but eventually the night ended on a peaceful feeling note. Michael's presence in the house was very calming, and the way he spoke about the spirits and talked with us was incredibly comforting, and to be honest, it was difficult to let him leave. It was kind of hard to imagine how to continue life post-Michael. In that moment, things felt very safe and okay, but the future felt quite uncertain and scary. The night ahead alone in the house with Becca and perhaps a ghost who has just had her peace disrupted seemed rather unsettling. We asked if we should say hi to her or if it was wise to let her know that we were okay with her, and he said that was not a great idea. By speaking to ghosts, you develop a relationship with them, which might sound kind of hot, but it's more often than not a bad thing. They begin to impose curfews on you and the like, and can even try to discipline you, which did not sound very chill to me. One thing that I have not mentioned yet is that I rather conveniently planned this whole evening around some travel plans of mine so that the next morning immediately after the ghost busting, I hopped on a plane and left town for about five days to go to a wedding on the East Coast. <laughs> Long story short, you better believe I left town and all hell broke loose in the house. While I was away, I just received text message after text message, and I could not feel worse about leaving Becca behind, and I could not feel happier that I was a plane ride away. Hello? Hi, Becca. This is Emma Hers. Hi, Emma. Hello, Emma. Here I've got Becca White on the line, and I get straight down to the nitty-gritty. You left. I didn't see you the next day because you were gone, but also I was working all day and then I came home. Doors would be slamming and and I would hear yeah. footsteps. And I just, after like being, I could, I was only in the house like 15 minutes and um, just slept at uh, a few of our friends' houses until you got back. Like the same week, like two days afterwards, I went and got a tarot card reading because it like got me on um, this weird psychic binge kind of just because I was so freaked out about living in the house at that point that I wanted to uh, have a further solution with it because I was dealing with Betty. I think that she was pissed that Michael was there. Like Michael was saying himself that um, she thought he was really stupid because he, um, I don't know, is a medium for a, a fashion. And I think that she was pissed to have like her space invaded. So she was yeah. just kind of like, you know, pranking me. 
in the time that you were gone and it was really being scary and then I went to that I got, and I got that tarot card reading and there was the head of my my card was an old woman and um it was Betty Becca refers to the ghost as Betty because that's the name of the woman that lived in the house last and passed away there. But I feel weird about giving the ghost a name because to me that just makes it more real. And even at this point, that still feels scary to me. But more importantly, I can't call the ghost Betty because I knew Betty in real life and that feels really creepy. And also, the ghost just doesn't feel like Betty to me. Even though I was really young when I knew Betty, It just doesn't feel familiar to me. The energy that wakes me up at night and wanders around my bathroom doesn't feel like the old woman who lived in the house that I knew growing up. And it feels weird to call this energy that's caused so much drama and so much fear after this little old lady that I knew. The ghost still feels very much like a stranger and a mystery to me. And I think it feels weird giving her a name But for Becca, it makes it more familiar and more friendly to kind of attach a a nice old lady's name to it. So so I think that for her, it works and it makes it easier. The head of my my card was about Betty and it was about confronting her um, after talking to this woman about like what that would entail. So I I just um, I got home maybe like a day before you came back and I like said I was I said out loud and like my voice was shaking and I was just like, Betty, like, I respect you. You need to respect my space. I, I don't want to know that you're here. Don't make yourself visible. Um, if you continue to, like, freak me out and disrespect me, like, I'm going to have to kick you out of the house. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I just kind of, like, quietly, like, went on doing whatever I do in the house. <laughs> right on. Right on. And, like, sometimes, like, things still happen, but it, but I... I really tune it out and I don't really care because um, I know that like what, whatever is in the house now, like I feel like maybe we've attracted more things since Michael. Um, but I, they're all like apathetic spirits that, and they just want attention. It's like, it's my, like the, like you remember last week when um, you were in the basement and I was like, Emma, Emma. Yeah. And, and you were like, Becca, what? I'm in the basement, and and I think that I could tell, like, maybe you knew what was going, like, I, I had, like, a weird thing happen. I was going to the bathroom, and I heard my keys drop on the floor in the kitchen, and, like, rumbling around. Oh, really? Yeah, but, like, I knew that you were in the basement, so I was, I was freaked oh, out, shit. and I'll, like, yeah, and I'll do that thing where I'll, like, linger around the corner, like, in the hallway, like, I don't know, and then I'll, like, freak myself out, and then calm myself down and just think like it this does not matter and they're not they can't physically get to me people who don't pay attention to things like this and don't really they don't really encourage it so they're not like egging things on whereas like I totally am and maybe you are too because it is intriguing to us but after talking to Michael like I don't want to I don't want to see ghosts I don't want to see spirits I don't want to oh my god his life sounds so complicated because of it and you and you can like yeah. see it physically on his face, how like disruptive that is. We were instructed to not speak about the ghosts in the house for a good twenty four hours after the clearing. It needed to sort of set, if you will. And if we were to talk about it, it's almost like opening our doors back up to them. It was important for us to pretend like nothing happened and we didn't know anything. 
Over the past couple of months, the house has begun to feel better. Things still happen occasionally, but it's easier to maintain our composure, I think. I suppose it's nice to sometimes think about the fact that we have this sort of protector in the house and we invited the ghost to stay. I suppose I sleep better at night knowing I did a good deed for a ghost and that she owes me one. That's not a bad feeling at all. That right there, I guess, is some karma that I can live with. This is Emma Hurst. Thank you so much for listening. Episode 5, the finale of Late Last Night. Uh, It's been a really fun October, and thank you to everybody who wrote a story, contributed a voice, and a special thanks to Emma Hurst, who gave us that middle ghost story today, or for this episode. Um, That's a real thing that happened, so everybody just, I don't know, fucking be careful, right? Okay. All right. I'm Caitlin Nodi, and this has been Late Last Night. <laughs>